0: Greetings and salutations, all you sportsmen and women and conservationists across New York State and the Fruited Plain. Welcome back to another episode of We Love Outdoors with Rich Davenport. I am your humble host, Rich Davenport, coming to you from sunny Tandawanda, New York. That's right, sportsmen and women, welcome back to another episode of We Love Outdoors with Rich Davenport, coming to you on Anchor.fm, powered by Spotify. Hey, you can get this podcast on Spotify and Google Podcasts and Apple Podcasts and Beacon and Free Radio and Pocket Casts and, of course, Anchor.fm. Hey, please help support the cause and donate to this podcast. You can do that uh, right through the website at $2 a month or $5 a month or whatever you can afford as it helps me push back on the propaganda in the news while providing conservation news and commentary along with sound science and conservation principles. And, hey, you know, speaking of common, It's my show, it's my commentary, and it's my opinion, and it doesn't necessarily reflect any of the official positions of any organization I may be a part of. But if it is an official position, I'm going to let you know about it, okay? And also, just so we're clear, the views on this program that are expressed here may not necessarily reflect the views of this program's sponsors and advertisers. Okay, now that that's all clear and out of the way, uh, you know, as always, there's a lot going on in the great outdoors. We've got some good, we've got some bad, a little bit ugly, but mostly really good. Uh, For instance, on Friday, March 18th, the New York State DEC played host to the annual uh, national Archery in Schools program, NASP, and that was the, uh, the tournament that was held uh, across New York State. There were 407 entrants across school districts in 16 New York counties. They all converged on the Center of Progress building at the New York State Fair campgrounds in Syracuse to compete against their peers and perhaps qualify for the national NASP tournament that's slated for May 12th through 14th of 2022, and that's going to be held in Louisville, Kentucky. The National Championship Tournament is obviously sponsored by NASP, Incorporated, and uh, you know it's a big tournament that the, the state has, and it's great to see the DEC playing host to it. Uh, there are three divisions that compete in this bullseye format event, which is high school, middle school, and elementary school, and those students competing against their respective age groups. The top schools in each division wound up being as follows. In the high school division, St. Joseph-by-the-Sea won the top high school honors. Believe it or not, this is their eighth consecutive year. Quite an accomplishment for this Richmond County school district. Uh, middle school and elementary school divisions were uh, both won by Arcport Central Schools. That's located in Steuben County in Region 8. Uh, so that's you know really interesting. Um, You know, Richmond County, that was one of the two counties, by the way, that did not pass a youth bill for youth hunting with firearms this year. The other one that did pass the uh, uh, bill, their local law, but it uh, got vetoed by the uh, uh, all-knowing, all-soothsaying county executive, Mark cars was Erie County. Uh, Anyhow, um, I I just found it interesting that, you know, this high school uh, is producing such incredibly tremendous, consistent, high quality archers, and yet they don't allow their kids to go hunting for firearms. I guess they, they do love them hunting with uh, archery equipment, though. Uh, in the individual uh, categories, the the top high school honors for male and female archers were Anthony Marino, and he was from St. Joseph-by-the-Sea. He had a tournament high score of 292 out of 300. And then Gabriella D'Azalia, uh, from Shroom Lake Central School, she was the top female archer she notched a 278 out of 300 and each champion earned the first place trophy a New York State champion Genesis bow and bow case uh, awards were given to the top 10 finishers in each division both male and female and those winners also then qualify for the national tournament in May so congratulations you know well-deserved uh, uh, honors uh, you know that's just fantastic to hear and uh, congratulations and you know that you know, NASP in general, the National Archery and Schools Program, it's an excellent program, and I you know, wish more school districts would take advantage of. Uh, you know, we did have some districts from Region 9 compete. That included the Hinsdale Central Schools, Salamanca City Schools, and uh, uh, the Seneca Intermediate School, and the Salamanca High School as well, along with the Holland Middle High School. And it's nice to see one school district from Erie County competing. That was Holland Middle and Holland High. Uh, I would like to see more uh, competing, to be honest with you, but, you know, it's, it, it is it is a very tough competition, and, uh, you know, it is up to the, each school district to actually bring the archery to the kids. Um, I remember when I was in school, we had uh, a similar program, although I don't think it was NASP, I think it was uh, through the Boy Scouts, but uh, we did have archery in the gymnasium, and uh, that was a lot of fun. But you know, this is a great vehicle by which to introduce young people to this sport of archery and potentially develop a lifelong love of this demanding discipline. Even if they don't take their skills afield during the bow hunting seasons, it's something that is pretty darn rewarding. You know, for full standings and a breakdown of that, you can visit https colon forward slash forward slash nasptournaments.org, that's all one word, forward slash tournament detail dot aspx. Uh, question mark TID equals 7923 that's where you'll find all those standings you can see the full results as well as results by school and uh, you know that's really uh, really something that that's you know those kids deserve a hearty congratulations and a pat on the back archery is not an easy discipline to to uh, uh, become really proficient at and these kids really have some great talent um, I mentioned you know, during the last podcast that coyote season ends on March 26th statewide and that was erroneous and I have to apologize. The season actually closes today, which is March 27th, the Sunday. It's my bad and I apologize for missing that. Um, so you actually have until 11.59 p.m. tonight to hunt coyote. And they have been very active this spring. Uh, I've been reading some reports on social media and various hunting groups that uh, are mentioning there was one individual specifically, he mentioned he had several coyote coming into his backyard and they were trying to lure his family dog into the woods. Um, You know, he didn't want to be that guy shooting them. And, you know, he didn't actually realize that the coyote season was open until the end of March. Uh, you know I suspect that you know many people believe that it it may close at the end of December or you know many more think at the end of February along with the rest of small game and you know it was about 10-15 years ago maybe a little further along the the way uh, when Coyote was actually extended to the end of March for trapping and hunting Uh, a lot of work was done by the small game team and the fur bearer team to get that done Uh, they're looking to try to get it uh, obviously a little bit longer maybe even through the the, uh, uh, the uh, turkey season. So if you run into one wild turkey hunting, you can take them down. Uh, but you know that's met with resistance because the uh, DEC obviously believes that the coyote is a valuable fur bearer worth protecting. So, and that also is when they have their pups, and uh, you know, so they don't want to disturb that. But afterwards, you know, have at them. Uh, uh, so that's, you know, they, their season is protected. It goes from, you know, October 1 to the end of March. It also has to do with the quality of fur, too. The trappers want to see, you know, they don't want to see the, the coyote just taken out, you know, in the summertime when they, they have their summer coat. You know, that it doesn't make them really usable, but the uh, the fur on them in the wintertime, obviously, that can be used, and it's a very popular fur, especially overseas. Uh, it's really, so I, I get it. Uh, anyhow uh while the spring you know is in full bloom although by today's standards you'd never know it we look like we had winter storm warnings up across all of western new york uh and the temperatures are still volatile which is normal for this time of year we're at the end of march uh there's still plenty of snowpack that exists in the high peaks areas of the uh, northern zone and adirondacks and you know, with the warming temperatures, the DEC has issued another avalanche advisory to hikers and alpine skiers and snowboarders and other visitors who may traverse the slides or steep open terrain of the ADK and the high peaks. Uh, Recently, DEC forest rangers did lead a search in the Adirondacks for a 63-year-old individual who planned to climb Mount Colden on the weekend of March 11th, but he failed to return. And sadly, on March 18th, the forest rangers and volunteer rescuers located the subject deceased in the trap dike uh, under approximately four feet of snow. After consulting experts at the National Avalanche Center, the evidence did suggest an avalanche may have occurred at the site. However, without any eyewitnesses and due to changing snow conditions, especially this time of year, it's really impossible to say for certain if the snow accumulation was the result of an avalanche or if it was drifted snow. But, you know, that's just underscores, uh, you know, the reason why... The, you get advisories like what the DEC released about these, these avalanches. And, you know, there was an avalanche that was confirmed on a slide uh, located on Wright Mountain on February 12th, of 2022. Uh, two skiers, they were initially buried, and one of the two was able to self rescue and locate and dig out his companion. Both skiers did have proper safety gear, including shovels. They had beacons and transceivers. And the pair had also been practicing rescue techniques before the trip. So they were really prepared. They understood that they were going into an area that, you know, an avalanche wasn't that far-fetched. Um, you know, and that's, that's something that certainly improves the odds of surviving an avalanche. But it's, uh, you know, honestly, you need a lot of luck and it's best to be able to identify the signs of unstable snow such as cracking snow cover signs of a recent slide snow collapsing or making hollow sounds when walking on it that indicates an unstable snowpack that could let loose again although winter has officially ended even though you know there is snow that may still be ample now is that transition time and you know when the snow is melting, it does become dangerous. My advice, obviously, would be to steer clear uh, of the high peaks regions and steep slopes until that snowpack melts away. Uh, stay in the valleys. Uh, stay, you know, in the the heavy woods. That's you know typically never going to see a. a a slide and if an avalanche does come through those trees break it up and slow it or stop it so you know don't tempt fate even if you have the right gear even if you are prepared surviving an avalanche does require a good dose of luck and you know with trout season less than a week away well you know take some time maybe to inventory that gear tie up some new flies for the opener uh, let the snow disappear you know that's really what my advice is Uh, and you know that would be that would be some really, uh, you know, just to obviously be safe this time of year. Uh, I've had friends take, uh, you know, doing some hiking in the snow, and it's been melting, and they didn't have a problem with an avalanche in western New York, but they were hiking along the, the you know, the rims of ravines and such, and, uh, you know, that the ground underneath them let loose, and they ended up taking a 100-foot, 100 150-foot slide down a very steep ravine and uh, wound up having to get a helicopter ride out. So, you know, just to, to be on the safe side. Uh, you know there's there's also things that are coming up uh, you know we've got uh, you know all sorts of things happening with the uh, uh, the New York State Conservation Council they're going to be having their spring meeting their uh, legislative meeting it's kinda they would have two meetings uh one in March would be the legislative meeting and then they would have the spring committee meetings in April and you know for efficiencies and to save time uh, it was decided to combine those two meetings into one, so it's now the spring legislative meeting. But, uh, you know, this spring meeting, which is, again, on April 9th, it's going to be uh, uh, hosted at uh, SUNY Cobbleskill, which is a quite, a, quite a drive from Region 9 for sure. Uh, you know, this one is going to be uh, basically a general meeting that's going to go for most of the day, and there are no uh, spring meeting breakouts. They're looking for the spring uh, or the committee's, Uh, to have their spring meetings in advance of this uh, April 9th uh, general meeting of the membership where they're going to meet with the DEC and they're going to get, you know, a lot of information on on what's been changing and what's coming up, Uh, you know, so it's it's definitely going to be a productive meeting. It's also going to be a hybrid meeting just like they did the uh, fall convention where, you know, they're going to have a virtual session that you can log in on uh, and I'm, I'm probably going to attend it virtually. It's a real long drive and the next day I've got a fishing tournament to attend and you know, it's like a five, five and a half hour drive from here. And you know, to drive that far to basically 10 hours, 10 and a half to have a four or five hour meeting, it just doesn't make sense. Um, and you know, obviously with gas prices the way they are, uh, you know, it, it might not be a bad idea just for me to go ahead and join uh, virtually. But You know, the COVID, COVID, COVID did bring out a couple of good things, and one of that was, you know, more remote uh, meetings. uh, The the technology has really matured, you know, has been forced to grow up, if you will, and, uh, you know, more and more organizations are leveraging it, which allows more people that, especially on a statewide level, uh, allows more people to attend these important meetings without having to drive and incur that expense and spend all that time. And maybe they can't sit for that long. Maybe there's some health problems. Maybe they got back issues. Uh, you know. And, and again, you know, you're looking at a you know with four dollars and you know approaching four fifty a gallon for regular gasoline on a lot of gas. It doesn't make a lot of sense to do that drive, especially now that they're not doing the committee meetings. You know, it was nice to meet in person with the committees. And also meet with the respective uh biologists and managers for that uh your discipline, whether it was fisheries or big game or archery uh you know and archery and big game would would combine so we would you know have uh, the d e c with us but uh you know it's not happening this uh time around, nonetheless, that spring meeting is coming up, and uh you know it's going to be coming up uh real soon uh on April ninth. Well, folks, you hear that music that's right. That means I've got to take my first break of the day. But don't worry, folks. Don't go anywhere because we love outdoors with Rich Davenport. We'll be right back after this brief timeout. And welcome back all you sportsmen and women and conservationists across New York State and the Fruited Plain. Welcome back to the Second segment of this episode of We Love Outdoors with Rich Davenport. I am your humble host, Rich Davenport, and I'm coming to you from Sunny Tanawanda, New York. Hey, sorry about the glitchy music. We got a little bit of an internet hoozy out there. Uh, you know, bandwidth is what it is, and you know, I tend to like to play my music, uh, you know, off the internet, nice and streaming, right through into the sound system. So, uh, but yeah, we've got a little bit of a bandwidth issue, so I apologize for that. Uh, anyhow, you know we've got uh, opening day of trout season. You know that's that coincides in New York State every year on April Fool's Day. And seeing the snow today, I really hope we don't get a repeat of it on uh, the thirty-first of uh, March because that would just uh, keep the the uh, the tradition of April Fool's Day and opening day of trout season truly apropos. Um, you know, however. Uh, the opener uh, on this Friday is looking real good. The stream conditions are looking great. They might be a little bit high. We'll see what happens next week, uh, but we've had good flow. We've had uh, consistent moisture then, and that's an understatement this spring. Um, you know, We've had a very good start, a very wet spring to start, and that should be good news for the steelhead runs, and it might prolong them well into April. Uh, you know, although that the increased flow in the inland streams may hamper some of the, the trout stocking efforts that are now getting underway, uh, you know, as that higher stream flow may may cause problems with dropping fish, and they got to let it recede a little bit. Uh, but the stocking is commencing, and in some waters across the state, it's already begun. That happened actually the third week of March, um, and it, depending on the weather, uh, you know, we're talking you know full weeks. Uh, it either began the week of 314 or uh, you know 321 when stocking began across the state in some select waters. Stocking will continue throughout the state uh, for the inland streams and ponds and lakes Uh, mostly through May there might be a couple of places that it will see some final uh, dropping of fish in June and uh, you know that the stocks are predominantly comprised of rainbow trout and brown trout with our size range anywhere from 8 inches to 15 inches in size. Uh, the DEC has the full listing already published uh, for the 2022 list of stocking efforts by water, which can be viewed and downloaded from the DEC website if you go to https colon forward slash forward slash www.dec.ny.gov forward slash outdoor forward slash three zero four six five dot html. <coughs> Uh, excuse me folks and you know from there you can uh, get the stocking plans by county or a complete statewide summary and that's all in PDF format so you know you can read that uh, you know through your web browser nowadays or you have to get Adobe Acrobat as that uh, particular plugin. Or you know you can get searchable spring stocking data in a couple of different formats off their site um, but it is hosted on a different website they've got links out there it goes to open Data. Um, or it's actually called data.ny.gov, but it is open and public available data. Uh, For general fish docking information, you can get that uh, information off the DEC website. Again, that's just a a different page. That's 7739.html. Obviously, that's dec.ny.gov forward slash outdoor, and uh, that that HTML page will give you the general as well. But, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's good information. You can see uh, you know, what's happening with the stocking of the fish, uh, you know, ever since we've had the change, you know, that was last year's implementation of the Inland Trout Stream Management Plan. Uh, there have been changes made in stocking, and they're looking based on effort and angling hours per water and, you know, doing some some calculations as to how many fish they're going to be putting in and whether or not the water is actually, you know, getting fished. Uh, that's the second part of this. Uh, management plan to try to streamline efficiencies they've got a lot of different waterways out there that they stock but not as many of them get as many hours as others and you know there has to be a threshold where you know it, it might not be worth it maybe you got one or two guys that are spending a few hours there a season on a stream and they're putting in a couple hundred trout you know that's great for those two or three guys that handful that might be fishing the stream you know in just a little bit in the in the spring um, whereas that stock could be used somewhere else that's a little bit more popular and give a few more anglers a chance. Uh, I think that's some of the, some of the uh, goals that are there to try to maximize this resource and maximize the investment. Um, but in any event you do have these stocking lists that are out you can see when they're dropping them in and approximate timing. They don't tell you the exact date and they don't tell you the exact location so you can sit there and kind of you know hawk on it until the, the truck leaves and then jump in there. But um, you can get the information and then you'll, you'll know, you can time your trip a little bit better. You know, Obviously, if it's a stock water, you don't want to show up before they stock it. You want to show up afterwards. I mean, I get that, right? Uh, you know, local bait and tackle shops are also starting to switch gears from the ice fishing now to spring trout and the upcoming walleye opener, too, which will commence this year on May 1st uh, with the adoption of new fishing regulations that were codified about a week or so ago. Uh, some tackle shops which are open seasonally, like Russ's Bait and Tackle on Niagara Street in Buffalo, you know, they're now back open and ready for trout and the yellow perch runs once that ice boom gets pulled out of the way. And there's still quite a bit of ice. There's a significant amount of ice in the Buffalo end here piling up at the ice boom, folks. So it could take a little while, especially you know with this uh, weather that we have if it keeps staying cold and we keep getting snow you know that's going to prolong that ice boom's uh, duration that's you know sitting there uh, it's got to be under 250 square miles of ice and you know from what I saw today down at the Western New York Environmental Federation meeting at Hoax there's more than more than that out there there's probably triple that or even more uh, you know ice as far as I could see shore to shore uh, But, you know, everybody is now getting ready for it, and I saw guys that had gotten out uh, already out of the Cattaraugus Creek. Uh, Sturgeon Point still is, although they've got open water, and it looks like the lake is accessible down at Sturgeon, uh, they do have to get the dredging done, and there's no word yet on what the status is of that bid. It's supposed to go out to bid. It should be out already. I don't know what the holdup is, um, but you know, I'm sure the residents are, are starting to get a little bit uh, restless, if you will, and I'm sure they're gonna be making their feelings known uh, in some uh, uh, town hall meetings, which typically happen Wednesday evenings uh, down at the uh, Evans uh, Municipal Center down there uh but you know most of the ice in the inland side you know it is pretty much safe for the north country Uh, Pretty much all but gone. The western New York waters, like Chautauqua Lake, that's now ice free, and that means the crappie should be starting to pile up pretty soon into the marinas and canals to start their pre spawn feeding binge. Uh, You know, anglers are uh, reminded that starting April 1st, because of these regulation changes, if you're a crappie fisherman, the keeper size does increase from 9 inches to 10 inches effective April 1st. Um, You know, it's important to to, uh, uh, just review again, you know, the season opening dates, the changes that have been made. Walleye, northern pike, pickerel, and tiger muskie will now open on May 1st versus the first Saturday in May. Uh, the inland musk lunge season is going to open now on June 1st versus the last Saturday in May. But folks can, again, they can fish, start fishing. Uh, that Saturday, that that Memorial Day weekend, as if it did open on that weekend, because the DEC does recognize that you know plans have been made, you know uh, lodging has been booked, guides have been hired for that opening weekend, because it is Memorial Day weekend, and that could be a lot of fun. Uh, so they're not going to you know enforce that opener hard on on the June one. Obviously, if you're fishing for muskellunge before the twenty eighth of May, you're going to have a problem, but. Uh, you know this year they're going to give a little bit of leeway to those who are fishing it because they are sensitive to those plans being made. Uh, on June 15th that's when the black bass season statewide is going to revert from uh, the catch and release artificial only season statewide to that uh, 12 inch minimum five a day you can use artificial or live bait. Uh, that's statewide uh, and that's also the Great Lakes muskellunge opener uh, for Lake Erie uh, the upper and lower Niagara Rivers, Lake Ontario, and the St. Lawrence River slash Seaway, uh, that's going to open on the 15th of June as well. And that season will close December 15th. Uh, so that's kind of nice. Uh, meanwhile, you know, the uh, just want to say that, you know, the record setting records uh, for fishing that we had in 2021, we seem to be continuing and picking up speed actually uh, because we've got some records that have been set here. Uh, These keep continuing and they yet to amaze. There's another state record has fallen in Maryland when on March 2nd, uh, angler Kyle Mullenix of Hagerstown, Maryland caught a 49-inch, 33-pound muskie while fishing along the banks of the Potomac River. The fish eclipsed the former state record which was set in 2017, and Mullenix told reporters that he spent many years trying to catch a muskie with no luck to speak of, as the fish of a thousand casts had eluded him time and again. However, on March 2nd, you know, 2022, the muskie uh, you know, struck his lure and it's Maryland's largest freshwater fish so you know according to the DNR also the most difficult fish to catch in Maryland as far as the uh, freshwater species are he's ended that drought now in a big way and got that skunk stripe off his back with a new state record what a way to go congratulations Kyle Mullenix and we're not done yet that wasn't the only record set uh, another freshwater state record was uh, fell in March and this time it was in Missouri when Illinois angler Jim Dane caught a 140 pound 10 ounce paddlefish while on a fishing trip to Lake of the Ozarks, according to officials uh, from the Missouri Department of Conservation. Uh, Dane told news reporters that he was thinking about canceling the fishing trip due to inclement weather but decided to brave the weather anyhow and what a time to brave the weather indeed. Dane explained the forecast was calling for storms and then it changed to no rain so they went out but it just kept getting colder and colder and colder and they weren't having much luck but decided to fish for another hour or so and uh, so they took another turn in the boat and that's when the drag of the reel started screaming. And it felt like he had a tree on the line. And when he got back to the launch, he met up with angler Steve Henson, who holds the state record for carp sucker. And he advised Dane to get that fish weighed on a certified scale, as it could be a new state record paddlefish. And after finding a certified scale capable of weighing fish in excess of a 100 pounds, it was confirmed that Dane's fish indeed had broken the old record quite handily, putting his name in the record books for Missouri, even though he's an angler from Illinois. Dane put the fish to good use, getting 16 one-gallon bags of meat off the fish. He said he's fried it, he's grilled it, he's made paddlefish tacos, and, and, uh, you know, he's going to be having paddlefish for a while. Nice. But you know what, folks? We're still not done. That's right, we had three different records set this month as another state record has fallen and this time in Georgia. And Georgia has been busy setting state records this year as this is the third one Georgia has broken in the past four months. And this particular record was set by, or broken I should say, by Rachel Harrison of Adairsville, Georgia when she reeled in a 31 pound, two ounce long nose gar while fishing on the Coosa River not far from Rome, Georgia. The record-setting fish was caught on March 19th and broke the old record that stood at 31 pounds, 13 ounces, and that was set back in 2013. Chief of Fisheries for the Wildlife Resource Division, Scott Robinson, said congrats to Rachel Harrison. State records do not get broken every day, so for Georgia to have three new records in this short span just shows that our waters are producing great fish right now. Who will catch the next one? It might be you but you have to get outdoors and go fish Georgia you know that's great you know you've got them promoting and pushing their, their fisheries and that's just a fantastic thing the next uh, record trend who know we're going if we're going to see something in April but boy is it ever continuing to stretch from 2021 to 2022 and I wonder where the next one is going to fall and I wonder what species it's going to be as well you know that should maybe we should start taking a little Vegas uh, numbers on that what do you think folks well, you hear that music, folks? That's right. The fastest podcast in uh, podcast history has got segment number two now in the books. And uh, i got to take another break for the day, folks. But, hey, don't go anywhere because we love outdoors with Rich Davenport. We'll be right back. and welcome back all you sportsmen and women and conservationists across New York State and the fruited plain welcome back to we love outdoors with rich davenport coming to you on anchor.fm powered by spotify you know it's a i guess still got some fishing news here folks that i got to cover because the south towns walleye association has teamed up with the east Side anglers association to help make the banks of the upper niagara river a safer area to fish along the buffalo uh, city and uh, uh, up to or towards tonawanda uh, that area along uh, the stretch of the upper river trying to make it safer by embarking on a life ring station project in partnership and with full support from the city of buffalo's common council the buffalo police benevolent association the buffalo firefighters union and others now their goal is to install 50 life ring stations along the shoreline of the upper niagara river from broderick park and unity island and upstream as far as possible uh you know that this is it's long overdue and uh you know Southtown's Walleye is actively seeking donations to secure these stations and each one of these stations costs about $500 each and they include a 24-inch U.S. Coast Guard certified life ring, a 100-foot rope, a secure station container with instruction diagrams on the front, a place for a GPS alerting device to report the station or life ring is in use, and is designed to mount on a 4x4 heavy post. Uh, the City of Buffalo has agreed to install uh, many of these stations at no cost, obviously in the City of Buffalo properties like Briarwood Park and Unity Island. Uh, uh, so that's, that's really good. And the Fisheries Advisory Board also chimed in. Uh, we've got our endorsement thrown out there. Uh, behind this program. Uh, On March 15th, uh, the Fisheries Advisory Board unanimously voted to support this initiative through recommending that the Erie County Executive get behind this with his support and work to gain support and help from the Erie County Parks and the Erie County Sheriffs as well. Um, you know, although in the city, some of these stretches are city of Buffalo parks, those are going to be covered. You've also got some county parks as well, like Riverside Park, and which includes the Foot of Ontario Boat Launch and the Riverwalk heading northwards towards Tonawanda, as well as Nyawanda Park, which is downstream into the city of Tonawanda. And there's also other municipalities like the town and city of Tonawanda, as they have parks along the river, most notably the Foot of Sheridan Boat Launch and Isleview Park. Um, you know this is the area that's being focused on for now um, and it's really the result of you know a lot of accidents happening sometimes it's not an accident Uh, you know and at the foot of ferry street you know the reason why uh, it's called the foot of ferry is there used to be a ferry that would tie up there there's a, a, a break wall that's that's situated just downstream of the peace bridge and there's an indentation kind of, that's where the ferry would pull up and it would take people across the way to Canada. Uh, you know, obviously it was a much bigger attraction prior to the Peace Bridge being built. But, uh, you know, this this area at Broderick Park, it's from Swift Waters, very dangerous. There's a lot of debris and such. You know, as you know, things were repaired, a lot of the old fencing and, and rebar and such was just cut and dropped right into the water. Uh, so there's a lot of a lot of danger in that area. It's very swift water, and obviously at the wrong time of year, it's very cold, like this time of year. And if you go in, there is no uh, safety device or safety devices there to really help you out. In fact, uh, there was a a couple of incidences not too long ago. Uh, one of them, if it wasn't for the Army Corps of Engineers being there working on the breakwater and installing some current uh, deflecting devices to slow the uh, water down for the emerald shiners, uh you know the person who went in it was a female she ended up being extracted from the water by the guys in their boat at the you know the Army Corps of Engineers. She would have been gone if, if that was, if they weren't there. Uh, They also had uh, a a young boy go in, I mean, uh, you know, he was probably in his teens, he couldn't swim and his friend jumped in to try to save him and uh, unfortunately both of them were lost. Uh, I heard that you know the police were running up and down through Broderick Park trying to find tree branches to help save these kids uh, to no avail and really we need these safety rings Uh, you know the folks down at Buffalo United Front have been you know seeking support and trying to get this done uh, through the city council for the last couple of years and I guess the last couple events really did uh, you know put the cherry on the parfait so to speak it's terrible that it has to happen but it has to happen that way sooner or later. And, uh, you know, the fears of litigation uh, were were properly addressed as, you know, they're going to get sued either way. If somebody loses their life, they're going to get sued. They'd rather save the person's life and get sued than lose them and get sued. So, you know, it's the litigious society of today. It's a shame that it happens. Uh, but they're moving forward, and <clears throat> you can donate. They're, you know, the Southtown's Walleye is seeking donations. I mean, you can sponsor a. a a Unit for 500 bucks, but by all means, you know, they'll they, they're looking for anything that you can afford five bucks to 500 bucks a thousand bucks 20 bucks, whatever you can afford uh, you can reach out and contact Ron Kaczynski. He's the new president of Towns walleye You can reach him at 716-545-5925 Again, that's Ron Kaczynski at 716-545-5925 or you can get a hold of Bobby O'Rourke at 716 560 nine zero seven two again bobby o'rourke is seven one six five six zero nine zero seven two and anyone can donate any amount to the cause you know again each station does cost five hundred dollars they'd like to get 50 units in to start um and that 500 by the way is a discount from the manufacturer uh it's a it really is a a, a solid durable piece of equipment uh it's a necessary safety gear and you know if you look across the the Great Lakes region in other places you know municipalities like in Ohio and Sandusky and other places even in PA, Presque Isle etc they do have life-saving rings that are you know thereabouts or spread around those areas near the water where people are walking and fishing why we don't have it I don't know but that's you know that's New York for you right and hey are you interested in a job in law enforcement or do you just love the great outdoors and want to give back through becoming an eco the new york state dec is seeking interested and qualified candidates to become environmental conservation officers and the opportunity couldn't be better for those seeking a career path in you know wildlife law enforcement or perhaps a career change uh to help defend and protect our natural resources our wildlife our waters our lands and our fish from waste and harm you know the dec is actively seeking you and you know, they, they've got a lot of retirements that are going on, and they've got a, a an academy that's just started up. They're going to try to fill about 20 positions, but with all the, the the retirements across the state happening, they could be short, you know, 50 or 60 officers or maybe even more. And, you know, they're talking about having another academy back-to-back. Uh, which would, might be a good idea, but you've got to get your civil service exam because, you know, the qualifications, you have to have a four-year college degree, you have to pass the physical rigors that are pretty much following military standards, and you have to take your, and pass your civil service exam, and I'm sure there's a score that they want you to, to meet uh, or exceed. The academy, the academy, I should say, is a 32-week on-site training school, uh, which often does mirror a military boot camp. But as soon as candidates are accepted into the academy, you're on the payroll uh, with your only cost liability during that 32-week period. They've got your lodging, but you've got to pay for your food. Uh, candidates have to again take that civil service exam to have the consideration uh but right now is a great time to become an eco and the best part is there are no age requirements you know there is no ceiling there is no you know obviously there's a minimum you got to have a four-year college degree but you know you've you've got to uh you can, you can join at any time, so long as you can pass the physical requirements and those rigors. Uh, the last academy, I was told, uh, had a 54-year-old cadet who successfully completed the training, and he's now a full-time ECO. You know, so long as you can pass those physical rigors, have that college degree, and score well on the civil service exam, your spot at the academy roster is all but assured. To get more information, please visit https: colon forward slash forward slash www.dec.ny.gov forward slash about forward slash seven forty six html. Or contact your regional DEC office for more details. This is a career that you know. If you want to make a change, if you've been in law enforcement, if you've got a military background, uh, if you went to school for criminal justice or some other related, uh, you know, wildlife uh, laws and conservation, etc., environmental law. uh, This is really something that they're they're really looking for you, and they're they're coming up short. and Please please consider it, folks. Uh, Anyhow, in other news you got Hawkeye Bowman, they've announced that on April 16th they're going to hold their first wild animal shoot which involves a 3D target range, Uh, many different targets, many different animals like elk and tiger and moose and bear and deer and more. Uh, This family family friendly fun event will be held at their club grounds and that will cost $12 per archer unless you're under age 12, then participation is free. Archers may use primitive bows, which, you know, longbow, recurve, or self-bows. You can use a compound bow, and you can even use crossbows. Registration starts at 7 a.m. on the 16th of April, and will run through 2 p.m. Uh, they're located out in Alden on Clinton uh, Clinton Street. Um, but you got uh, from 7 a.m. to register. The, the shooting concludes at 2, giving you plenty of time to accomplish your honeydew lists on that Saturday after you're done or you can say you're just too tired. What the heck, right? Um, But come on down and join the Hawkeye Bowman for some springtime archery fun. You know, it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, They're one of the premier uh, archery clubs in the state, and they're members of the Erie County Federation. Uh, They're also uh, members of the Archers uh, Association and uh, the New York State Conservation Council. Uh, You know, wonderful, wonderful group to be a part of. Uh, They do host the Youth Archery Camp, and, uh, you know, it's it's just a wonderful uh, experience They really teach well, and uh, their facilities are are top-notch for archery. Uh, Come on down, join Hawkeye Bowman. Uh, Information, you can visit hawkeyebowman.com slash events. You can find them on Facebook, and you can also find event details on weloveoutdoors.org forward slash events. And you can get that skinny on it. Uh, Also on March 31st, the Northern Chautauqua Conservation Club, which is located in the west end of Dunkirk Harbor off Mullet Street, is kicking off their spring uh, with their All Fool's Eve celebration that they're calling Dirty Dog Day, which will begin at noon, runs till midnight, and you can get your sailing hot dogs cooked to order all day long with live music courtesy of yours truly, believe it or not, starting at 7 p.m. or thereabouts at the clubhouse. All proceeds are going to benefit their Take the Kid fishing events, uh, and they do a great job down at the Northern Chautauqua Conservation Club. They reach a lot of kids in the Dunkirk area and in the Chautauqua County uh, region itself. Uh, they they just they're tireless in what they do along that, that, that Great Lake we know as Lake Erie, uh, but they also take uh, a lot of kids out hunting as well. They they put on hunter safety training classes, pistol permit courses, uh, you know, right at the foot of uh, Mullet Street in the West End of the Harbor. They uh, they they're really are uh, one of the more active clubs, and they also sponsor the annual Northern Chautauqua Conservation Club Walleye Derby, which happens usually for two and a half days at the first part of August. Uh, that first weekend is, is Normally when that's held, that's going to be on again this year, I'm pretty darn sure. I know COVID, COVID, COVID kind of interrupted some of it as it interrupted a lot of different events, but... Uh, you know it's a great time so come on down and and uh, support that if you can and on March 28th the Citizens Against Wind Turbines are going to hold their monthly meeting at Southtown's Walleye Association starting at 6:30 30 p.m. Uh, that's located on Southwestern Boulevard uh, those wishing to join the fight to defend our Great Lakes against offshore industrial wind turbines should think about attending and of course join their Facebook community Citizens Against Wind Turbines in Lake Erie get involved and help protect that lake for for the, the future, the far foreseeable future. Um, you know, we're we're looking to get a permanent moratorium on this folly to protect this in perpetuity, and we're not going to stop until we get that. Also, most leftists are denying any knowledge of that scam to destroy Lake Erie, but uh, you know, it does appear Higgins is well aware of that notion that's that's going on. While others are are playing you know dumb because there isn't a project yet announced. Um, but uh, Brian Higgins, Congressman Brian Higgins, seems to be well aware of the notion and steps taken by heavy uh, Mitsubishi Heaven Industries, Heavy Industries, under the, the shell company called Diamond Offshore Wind. And his office is believing that at the end of the day, their costs are going to be found to be prohibitive, just like they were 12 years ago when NIPA tried the same shenanigans. NIPA, of course, being the New York Power Authority. Um, Higgins is being honest I I have to you know uh, pat him on the back for that others like State Senator Sean Ryan and Tim Kennedy they're kind of playing stupid and uh, you know uh, although those two probably aren't playing I shouldn't say that Uh, but anyhow as more information is coming to light uh, you know every day it seems like uh, this green energy push is becoming more and more self-evident that it's a fraud that it's a scam and it's really not going to benefit anybody uh, except those developers and those uh, politicians that support it. Well, folks, you hear that music, that means once again that I've got to take another break, and this will be my last break of the day as segment number three is now in the can. But, you know, stretch your legs, move around, get a cup of coffee, get a cup of pop, whatever, maybe a cup of water, and don't go anywhere because we love outdoors with Rich Davenport's going to be right back. And welcome back, all you sportsmen and women, and conservationists across New York State and the fruited plain, to the last segment of this week's episode of We Love Outdoors with Rich Davenport. And I am your humble host, Rich Davenport, coming to you from sunny Tandawanda, New York. Uh, you know, <clears throat> last uh, week, um, on uh, the 22nd, on this the last Tuesday, you know, it did mark World Water Day, which drew a lot of hypo- uh, hypocrisy. Uh, It drew out large numbers of the hypocrites, you know, virtue signaling to the environmentalist communist wackos that they care about water while endorsing the push for offshore wind turbines in the oceans and the Great Lakes. Uh, Most politicians, obviously, though, however, I shouldn't say obviously, but were strangely, I should say, strangely silent on that day. Uh, But some snippets from social media, you know, the DEC said groundwater is invisible, but its impact is visible everywhere. Uh, and, uh, you know, our drinking and uh, water and our, is important to our sanitation and our food supply and the natural environment. And, of course, we all rely on groundwater for this. And for more information, visit the UN website. You know, of course, in New York State, and especially in western New York, we more rely upon the Great Lakes and those areas um, And in those areas that do rely on the groundwater wells, we have reservoirs that oftentimes act to supplement those wells during the dry summer months. However, you know, since 11 million people across the United States and Canada get their drinking water from Lake Erie alone, I don't understand why there wouldn't be a a sound, solid position from the DEC to oppose any idea for Great Lakes offshore wind development, you know, especially when you're talking about protecting water. And I also don't understand why we don't have any environmental impact studies on them going up on land because we do have uh, evidence that, that uh, more than just suggests that uh, you know, the construction and the operation of industrial wind turbines does impact through low frequency noise, that vibration does impact uh, aquifers in the groundwater and has resulted in souring many wells with increased turbidity, increased gases and increased bacterial counts and, and not to mention heavy metals and arsenic and radon as well. Uh, that was determined up in Canada I'm sure it's happening all over the place and it's just kind of funny that we don't see the environmental uh, department that's supposed to protect our environment that's championing uh, groundwater would actually you know demand to see an environmental impact study on what it's doing these things are doing to groundwater hypocrisy. Uh, meanwhile, the Alliance uh, for Humanity, another well-known pusher of wind turbines, I like that. The Alliance for Humanity, um, and you know they're pushing the wind turbines and they're pushing solar arrays to replace fossil fuels. Stated, fresh water is a human right. And the United Nations recognized access to clean water as sustainable development goal number six in their, uh, you know, their agenda 21, uh, which is, you know, socialism for everyone a la environmentalism, according to the uh, United Nations. Uh, it's kind of funny, you know, you want fresh water, but do you want it clean? Do you want to protect it? They're the ones that are pushing for wind turbines and solar arrays to replace fossil fuels, yet you need fossil fuels to make these things. You need fossil fuels to lubricate them. Uh, you need fossil fuels to do the mining and run the equipment to do all that and run the centrifuges to refine the rare earth metals, but they're going to replace it with that. Again, they're, they're totally mum on, uh, on uh, the protecting of our our uh, natural resources but they do try to tell you that you know 2.2 lack uh, 2.2 billion people lack safely managed drinking water 4.2 billion people lack safely managed sanitation and 3 billion people worldwide lack basic hand washing facilities at home well you know let's stick out you know stick these wind turbines out there damage every aquifer that we've got so nobody has any of these things right that's the way to make everybody equal right to the lowest common denominator Unbelievable! Clean water is still a luxury in many places, and it's going to become a luxury in, in even places like the United States if they keep going on. Uh, you know, it's it, the shortage means no sanitation, increased poverty, and a food crisis. Yeah, let's get a little bit more alarmist, if you will. And uh, oh, by the way, uh, you know your. You're destroying a lot of these resources in the pursuit of your folly. Uh, let's stop being, uh, you know, catchphrases and dog whistles, uh, you know, with these buzzwords of the day, and uh, you know, let's actually start doing what you're supposed to do, and let's, you know, fight for clean, healthy, fresh water. Let's let's fight for clean, healthy ecosystems. It doesn't happen by destroying it and segmenting it and putting all sorts of harm out there. It's just it's it's total folly and hypocrisy, folks. And also, you know, the folks that have been definitely silent have been folks like State Senator Sean Ryan. He was strangely silent on World Water Day. Um, he's a supporter of the wind turbine scam, and but he likes to play stupid. Same with Senator Tim Kennedy. Uh, Crystal People Stokes, there's another one who over the summer engaged her political arm and robocalling folks to try to drum up support for the wind turbines in Lake Erie. She was definitely silent on War- World Water Day. And, uh, you know, I will say that I, I do believe that, that Mark Polencars, uh, the Grand Poobah of Erie County, uh, I think he made a statement about uh, World Water Day, but I might be mistaken on that. He might have been talking fire water or something. I don't know. But,. Uh, you know, it's, it's just unbelievable that these people that are supporting the destruction of our, uh, our Great Lakes, our greatest natural resource, that is our fresh water and the life therein, all for greed and industrialization to get nothing but campaign contribution and, and reduce you know, your natural rights and increase your dependency on them, uh, that they would have the audacity to come out and support World Water Day. It's just absolutely crazy. Uh, You know meanwhile the more bad news is piling up from an economic standpoint and the apologists are now starting to line up and lay the groundwork for retracting their offshore wind push due to economics. According to a a, a website called recharge.com a renewable energy propaganda publisher the New York State Uh, energy research and development authority that's NYSERDA is starting to raise the alarm bells concerning the price of American steel and how this could risk risk the offshore wind push in New York as you know as part of the trickery and to get this uh, you know climate change arbitrary and capricious law in the books uh, they made it clear that you could only use domestic steel and domestic workers, even though the domestic workers the labor force that is, is going to be from other countries you got to have a certain a level of technical know- how when you're building a marinized wind factory that doesn't exist here in the United States anywhere, so you know but they still they they need to use. American-made steel and other materials for the renewable projects, including the offshore wind turbine development. And the cost of American steel, the cost of steel across the board is right through the roof, just like all other construction uh, materials are. That did happen right around the time that, you know, COVID, COVID, COVID was winding down and the elections were winding down. Uh, So, you know, you can't pin the total blame on on, uh, uh, let's go Brandon. But uh, since then, with the escalation of uh, freight costs and him killing the energy independence and the supply that the United States was providing the world and providing our own selves, Uh, you know that certainly has driven a lot of the costs up and uh, that could be a a big problem uh, for the actual feasibility of actually building these things. You're looking at billions and billions of dollars and that was at a price when steel was half the cost that it is today and there's a lot of steel that's involved in this stuff. Um, So I found that interesting and you know even those, those foreign developers that won Uh, bids to lease out the uh, environmentally and uh, sensitive and important areas in the New York Bight. It sounds like they're laying the groundwork to back out of this. Uh, But you've got companies that are eyeballing Lake Erie and their shell corporations. They're out of Japan. That's Mitsubishi. Uh, We've already talked about that. And the cost of steel being at an all-time high right now, um, and you've got also increasing pressures doing pressures the war in Ukraine. Uh, there's a looming battle with China over Taiwan and all that. Uh, you know, you may need the steel for other things. I, you know, he- heaven forbid we've got to, you know, spin up uh, aircraft and heavy uh, armor and such. Uh, I, I just, I, I dread that thought. But there's high cost enough and, you know, it just might, be totally unaffordable at this point in time so they'll kick the can down the road but they're setting it up right now and meanwhile you know, the, the vulnerability of these uh, wind turbines to high winds uh, was saw in Jack County, Texas when an EF3 tornado ripped through a uh, wind factory that's located in Jacksboro and did damage most of them to the point where they're going to need to be demolished. I mean, it's like holy moly. And we get a lot of tornadic water spouts that are gigantic on Lake Erie. Um, you know, I wonder what would happen if they went, you know, cooked right on through. You know, I, I was out there on a, a day uh, back in 2014 during a vip fishing day out of dunkirk and we're out there walleye trolling and granted these uh these water spouts were well away from us but they were massive and we must have counted you know more than a dozen of them dropping down i mean what would happen if that ripped those guys ripped through a uh, you know the operational wind factory i shudder to think you know when they come on land if it's sizable enough it'll do damage to the to the structures on land uh it's just unbelievable Um, But as the communists barrel headlong towards the edge of energy instability's cliff, a strange turn of events has now happened in Australia, which which does have some global significance, as a group of residents have won the first of its kind lawsuit against the Ball Hill wind factory over unbearable noise that the turbines create. Uh, and the Victorian Supreme Court Justice Melinda Richards ruled that the noise was uh, an unreasonable interference and a nuisance to the community at large, and she issued an injunction to halt operations of the wind factories totally at nighttime. They can't run them at night, and that's going to cripple that factory's operations because if they can't run for for a good chunk of the 24-hour period, that means they're not making money. And not that you know they're making any money when the wind isn't blowing, but if the wind is blowing at night and they can't spin them, Uh, That's a problem. However, this is alleviating the crippling misery that's been suffered by these residents living near this wind factory since its commissioning in 2015. That's a big problem, folks, and that noise is being recognized across the globe as a real problem, just as wind turbine syndrome is now becoming recognized as a very real ailment. And in other news, Nature magazine published a research paper back in 2021, uh, in April of 2021, that you know is claiming climate change isn't the only driver of the ocean's loss of oxygen. According to researchers, microplastics are being grazed upon by zooplankton, which is causing a drop in oxygen levels in the oceans. Um, These small particles of microplastics are being eaten by zooplankton, and it's not doing anything for their actual metabolism. It's not breaking down and emitting the oxygen that other food sources would help them emit. And they're thinking that this is actually reducing the uh, total concentration of oxygen uh, in the oceans itself. And we also know that we got microplastics and plankton in the Great Lakes too. So why not exacerbate it by putting out these wind factories that suffer leading edge blade erosion, spreading microplastics from the carbon filaments that make up those blades along with bisphenol A, that wonderful uh, endocrine inhibitor that has a a 0.2 day half-life in air, but in water it'll last a hell of a lot longer. Um, Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Um, so if it's significantly widespread, uh, the reduction in on pro- the grazing of primary producers might have global biochemical consequences. And you know, so if they're in, you know, consuming plastics, that's bad. And then, of course, we also got on March 24th of 2022 regarding uh, microplastics. The UK's The Guardian published an article stating microplastics have now been found in the human bloodstream for the first time. So, you know, microplastics being polluted and de- pollution being detected in human blood, um, they said scientists found tiny particles in almost 80% of the people tested over there, and, you know, those particles may circulate through around, and around your body and lodge into organs, uh, you know, that's that's not real good. Um, and I suspect that this is really being reported for that next wave of attacks on fossil fuels because plastics are made from oil products and everything we use today has a heavy dose of synthetics that comes from petroleum products Uh, And let's not lose sight of the fact that, you know, in 1980s, the big push was to stop using paper bags at the supermarket and replace them with plastic bags to save the rainforests, and now we're seeing those plastic bags being banned and a return to the rainforest killing paper bags, but they're charging you five cents for it, so I guess that makes it okay. You know, I think that history is really starting to show us that we ought not listen to these people who hyperventilate and jump the gun, claiming they're, they're listening to uh, science and uh, you know, bringing you this hyperventilation of panic with emotionalism. Because time and again, they're proven 100% wrong, folks. It's uh, just unbelievable. Well, folks, if you hear that music, that means that my time with you for today is done. But i've thoroughly enjoyed myself today and i sure hope you found this episode of we love outdoors both entertaining and educational and informative and you know don't worry about a thing folks because those wind turbines aren't built yet we've got opening day of trout season right around the corner it's less than a week away and hopefully we'll see an end of the snow and we'll start seeing spring popping and uh you know turkey season's right around the corner soon so hey folks I'll talk to you. See you next week. Same back time, same bat channel. And until then, God bless.